So God, we come before you as conquerors, and yet we have a limp because we've suffered. So for those who are here, Lord, who are experiencing some sort of suffering, some trial, oh God, may you make them strong. May you fortify them. May you give them peace. For those who are here, Lord, because you have just given them blessing upon blessing and they are praising you, Lord, we thank you for that. It's a reminder that you have not forgotten us. And so now, Lord, as we prepare to open up your word, as we continue to worship you and sing these songs of praise, we beg that you would pour your spirit into us and that even for just this hour, for this moment, we would be reminded that heaven isn't too far away and that your presence is all around us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Feel your touch, I can feel your heart as I am lying here alone in the dark. I hear your voice gently say, Come to me, for I long for your love, like the earth longs for the rainfall. Come near me, Lord. I've wandered this desert too long. So come, living water, flow through me like a river. My heart's been thirsty so long. Flood through my soul. times you've called my name and I've turned my face the other way way. yet before you even saw the wounds you you love me and how could I be so how could I be so I alone have created my darkness come near me Lord and wash me clean once again. So come, living water, flow through me like a river. My heart's been thirsty so long. Flood through my soul and pour soul and 
this moment, um, there, is, there is undoubtedly reasons why we are thankful for what God has done for us in our lives. So as we do every year during our Thanksgiving service, if there is something that you are thankful for, um, just raise your hand and uh, Pastor Brett will come over to you with the microphone. And, uh, and we just ask that you share a sentence or two of what God has done in your life and, um, so that we can praise with you and we can worship this same God. So if there's something you're thankful for, just uh, raise your hand and, and we will come over. My pet dog. <laughs> Amen. I am very thankful that my sister is okay. She had breast cancer, and she's been battling it. And uh, she had surgery, and before that, she had chemotherapy, but she's doing good. Her blood cells are up high, I'm not high, but you know, good, um, good blood cells count, and so I'm very, very thankful for that. Amen. Praise God for healing, Amen. I'm thank you, I'm thankful for Lord and our families. I'm so grateful for my family. The Lord has blessed me tremendously. He always does. He never leaves me. Uh, my children aren't here today for whatever reason. Two of my grandsons are. I'm so grateful for everything, my church family, my whole life. I am so grateful today. I woke up this morning thinking how incredibly blessed I am. I have my wonderful daughter home today. I woke up this morning thinking my family is complete I would just feel so incredibly blessed. Life is good. And in addition to that, um, this week we got some wonderful news. I, first of all, I want to thank the church for your ongoing prayers um, over the past month. You've been so wonderful in praying for, for Bob. And um, this week, Bob met with his neurologist and got the results from his MRI, and the results were awesome. And I'm reminded of the verse in the Bible that says the Lord can do immeasurably more than we ever ask or hope for. And that was so true in this situation. And the results were um, awesome. There was absolutely no um, evidence of any damage to the brain at all. In fact, the doctors think that, uh, his neurologist thinks that it wasn't a TIA at all. It was probably some nerve um, issue, and, which is awesome. And I think probably the, the lawyers um, that he works with said it right. He went back and he reported to a couple of his lawyer buddies. They, he said, you know what? The neurologist said there was no damage to the brain. In fact, he's, the neurologist said 
It didn't even show any, um, you know, of the signs of advanced aging that we normally see in the brain. And wow. as attorney said, yeah, it's probably from lack of use. Uh-huh. <laughs> Now we know where he gets it from. <laughs> I'm so happy to be home, so I'm just incredibly thankful to, to have this church family, that it just feels right to be here, and it feels like home that I can see all of you. And I am especially thankful for your incredible generosity. You have no idea the impact that your donations have had on my students and continue to have. So thank you, and know that they are blessed, and I am blessed by all of you. any other praises I'll, I'll get this one hello church family um, I just need to take this opportunity to tell you thank you for all your prayers thank you um, our family's been going through a lot and I just feel so blessed to be long to this church family and for everyone to be praying and helping us and I know I were uh, Kurt's been in all your thoughts and prayers and I just want you to know that he is doing fabulous and I agree with Karen that God can do immeasurably more than we ever could think or, po- or even imagine. And um, he is doing very, we- very well, and he'll be back with us around Christmas time. He's not allowed to come in large groups yet. It's this process he's going through to get stronger and get well. Anyway, I just don't think we could have made it without all your support, and I just want every single one of you to know that. Thank you so much. Like so many of all of you, I have so much to be thankful for. But right now, I'm looking at a beautiful young lady sitting in front of me who we have been praying for for quite some time. Her name is Ashley, and she's here today on her own will, bringing a friend, and I just am so thankful to see her joining us. I want to say that I'm thankful for all of you Um, for all of the support in the special way that the elders and some of the leaders of this church, um, you guys have been grace upon grace upon grace for me. And um, I feel like this is home, and you've all been extremely loving and supportive of everything. And so I know that I've leaned on a lot of you um, over the last several seven months or so, and so I am eternally thankful for all of your love and your, your support and your grace, and I look forward to... Um, at the very least, seven and a half more years um, with you. I say seven and a half, but it may be 17 <laughs> or 70. <laughs> but um, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful for, for God bringing me here. And I absolutely resonate with that. I'm, I'm thankful for the family that I found here. Um, I've been here for over two years and, and haven't been able to find that niche. And it's in this congregation and in this ministry that I've, I've found home out here. So I want to thank each and every one of you for being a part of that um, and enriching my life on a very, very practical level. So thank you. Now it's time for our scripture reading. Yours, O Lord, are the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and on the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might. It is in your hand to make great 
and to give strength to all. And now, our God, we give thanks to you and praise your glorious name. O give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, we are thankful that you have given us your word as revelation for how we not only are to live our lives, but how we are able to hope in you and trust in you and how utterly reliable you are. And so now, Lord, as we open up your word, um, we pray that it would breathe a fresh word into our hearts and that your Holy Spirit would use it um, as a catalyst for transformation in our lives. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. How full is your glass? We've all heard this expression before, right? You're either a half glass full kind of person or a half glass empty kind of person. Now, I know it's, a, it's, a, it's an analogy that we use often. I know it's an analogy that we use often, right? Is your glass half full or is your glass half empty? And it's played out and it's old, and yet there isn't a better analogy or a better way of discerning what kind of a person you are. If you're the kind of person where you say, well, my glass is half full, what you're saying is I am a hopeful person. I am a positive person. I am an optimist. And if you're saying that you're a glass half empty kind of person, well, no one ever says they are to begin with, right? Because none of us want to be viewed as a pessimist or as a negative person. Some of you are saying, well, I'm not an optimist. I'm just a realist. There is no such thing as a realist. (laughs) You're either positive and optimistic and hopeful, or you're not. The idea of whether your glass is half full or half empty determines how you see the world. So let me ask the question in a slightly different way. Does your God have an abundant amount of resources at his disposal? Or does your God have a limited amount of resources? Is your God constrained by a scarcity of resources? Let me ask that again. Does your God have an abundant amount of blessing and grace to give you? Or is God working out of a deficit? The beginning of scripture, the book of Genesis chapter 1, it's a song of praise for God's generosity. Some would even call it that Genesis chapter 1 is the liturgy of God's generosity. It tells how well the world is order, ordered. In the first chapter of Genesis, we find that after God creates everything, what are the words that God says? It is good. It is good. It is good. It is good. And then what does he say? And it is very good. Genesis chapter 1, the the story of our beginnings, is a story of a God who is infinitely generous and giving to his creation. It paints a picture of a God who says to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply. In an abundance of fruitfulness, everything in its kind is to multiply to an overflowing goodness that pours from God's Spirit. In some ways, some people, some ancient rabbis would say that there was so much goodness and so much blessing and so much of God's generosity that God had to take a Sabbath because there was just too much for this world to handle. And so on Sabbath, God pauses, he takes a step back, he looks at everything that he has created, and he says, everything is very 
good. And on Sabbath, when God stops the work of creation, what he's actually admitting to is that, every, that we have everything we could possibly need and there is no more need for more. Israel, in the, in the Old Testament, celebrates God's abundance. Psalm 104 is the longest poem, and it talks about, or the longest poem, rather, and it's a commentary on Genesis chapter 1. The psalmist looks at everything that is around him, and he names it. He says, the heavens, the earth, the waters, the springs, the streams, the trees, the birds, the goats, the wine, the oil, the bread, the people, the lions. It goes on and on and on and talks about the goodness of God. And then he says this, you give them all food in due season. You feed everybody. And then he kind of ends, David ends this psalm with God, the picture of God as a respirator. And it says, if you give your breath to the world, it will live. But if you ever stop breathing, the world will die. God is the picture of ultimate generosity. God as the respirator that as long as God gives life to this world, we will continue to live God is utterly and utterly reliable. The fruitfulness of God's world, the world that God creates, is guaranteed. But as in every good story, there is always a problem. In chapter 47 of Genesis, we find for the very first time in Scripture the idea of scarcity The Pharaoh has a dream that there will be a famine in the land. And so what does the Pharaoh do? This is the first time that in the Bible it says there is not enough. And so the Pharaoh says there is not enough. So I want all of it. There is not enough resources to go around. So let's get everything. A more modern day analogy of this. For for Pharaoh... Because there, weren't, there wouldn't be enough food and resources, he wants to store all of it for himself, and he wants to control it. It's, it's what we see in natural disasters where people begin to hoard stuff because they don't know how long it's going to be. It's what we find in our popular television shows, right? Like the zombie apocalypse, and, it, and we store all of the goods that we have because we don't want to give to other people because our food is going to run out. Instead of being a community of blessing, love, and grace, instead of sharing our abundance, even though it's little, what ends up happening is we want to keep it all for ourselves. Let me give you a modern day analogy. How many of you, I'm not asking you to raise your hands, but how many of you have ever had a friend, maybe even a really, really good friend, and they are going for the same job that you want to go for? Maybe it's a coworker, and they get the job. And something inside you tells you, it should have been me. I deserve that job. And feelings of, of jealousy and envy kind of come in. That's us following in the footsteps of Pharaoh of saying, that should have been me. Because what we're actually saying is that the God of Genesis 1 no longer has an abundance of resources for me. How many of you have ever seen how much money is in the lottery And how many of us have said, why can't that be me? And so you go with all of your friends and you all pile all these tickets, right? Like you each pay 10 bucks or 20 bucks or whatever. And you get hundreds of tickets or maybe just 20. And you're saying, this is going to be it. This one time, I'm going to be the one that gets the lottery. And then some 
lady in Eureka, California, I don't know, where I don't know how the lottery works very well, but someone in some obscure place ends up winning $319 million, and all you can think about is, it should have been me. Maybe you look at somebody else's car, and you're just like, man, I wish I had that car. I'm guilty of this one. I'll, I'll admit it. <laughs> Gosh, I want that car, God. I love Hondas, but I want that car. Or maybe I want this house or that apartment. Or maybe, you know, whatever it is in your life, and you look and you say, if only my spouse was more like that person. What you're actually doing isn't just desiring more than what you have. But your image of God is a God who, is, who doesn't have an abundance of resources. It's as though you were looking at the story of Genesis chapter 1 and saying, that God no longer exists because the God that I believe in apparently doesn't have enough to give. When we come to the book of Exodus, the book of Exodus is actually a really good story as well. Right? We've seen movies on this book of Exodus. And it begins with this, that God says, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. For those of you who don't know the story, the Israelites were in, which were God's chosen people to be his message to the world of God's grace, love, and generosity. The Israelites were enslaved in Egypt, the superpower of its time. And all the, all the Israelites were good for was for making bricks, for building someone else's empire. And so God says, I've observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings. And I have come down to deliver them from the land, from this land to a land flowing with milk and honey. It's a story of rescue. It's the ultimate story of rescue. It's a story of something miraculous happens. The Israelites are slaves and then they are freed. They are beaten and oppressed, assigned to a small part of this kingdom. And God says, I am going to come take you out of this place. And the biblical way of saying like the most awesome paradise is a land flowing with milk and honey. So you would think that when God does this, that's the end of the story, right? This is where we insert and the Israelites lived happily ever after. But as is seldom the case, that didn't happen for them either. Because here's what's happening. Egypt is the center of everything that is good. Egypt is like the superpower. Egypt is the land of opportunity. Egypt is the place where everybody migrates to because there they may have more abundance of things and so everybody goes to Egypt because that is the land of opportunity, kind of. And in this place, Egypt, everybody has food. Even the slaves have food. But God also realizes that these people are being beaten and oppressed. So God says, not for my people. So he comes, he rescues them, he takes them out. He has them already to start off with, cross like a, a, the Red Sea, as it's called. He parts the oceans, they walk through there. So you would think, if, if God is powerful enough to do that, then I think we're going to be okay. Right? Like, if God can do something so miraculous as part of sea... I think we're going to be okay. But what we find is that the Israelites come to this desert and all they do is complain. They complain, they complain, and they complain, and they say things like this. If only we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the pots of meat and ate our fill of bread. For you, Moses, have brought us into this wilderness to kill us with hunger. You would think that anything is better than being a slave. 
And yet for the Israelites, they would rather be a slave than be free without having all of the luxuries they had before. And as God often does, God answers. Because out of nowhere, in the morning, God sends down this thing from heaven. And what the Israelites say in Hebrew is manu, which is where we get the word manna, which very simply means, what is that? The Israelites look up and they see this stuff coming from heaven. Yeah, we think man is like the sacred word. It's this Hebrew word that simply means, what is that? And it is through God's continued generosity. It is through God's continued generosity and grace that he reigns down for year after year after year, day after day. God provides them their daily portion of what we would call bread. But here's the catch. Bread fell from heaven, right? For their worldview, God is somewhere up above. So if God is up above, then only good things come from above. So when the manna falls from heaven, they they instantly know that it comes from God. But here's the catch. They had never before received bread for free. Their entire life, they were slaves constantly working for bread. They were constantly working to produce and to create things because they had to meet their quota. And if they didn't meet their quota, then maybe they wouldn't be fed that day. But now, out of nowhere, all of a sudden, something brand new happened. God gives them bread for free. And there was nothing they could do to earn this bread. There was nothing. They couldn't go up and shake a tree and the bread fell out. They couldn't dance a certain way and ask for God to send them bread. God just sends them bread every single day. But then people begin to think, well, why do I have to pick up bread every single day? Kind of, you know, what if I just store a bunch of it and have it for a whole week? That makes sense, right? No one wants to go to the grocery store every day, right? No, no one wants to do that. So the Israelites were like, all right, let's just store up a bunch of this manna, and then we'll have it for every single day. And then maybe once a week, we only have to kind of collect the bread. But what, what happens? It spoils. It gets rotten for the very next morning. They couldn't hoard up enough of this manna to last because the point of this was, do you trust me to give you bread every single day? They would also say, well, what if tomorrow the bread doesn't come? What if tomorrow the manna doesn't fall from the ground? We need to hoard it up. They had forgotten the idea and their vision of the God of Genesis 1, a God of generosity. And instead, their picture of God became a God who doesn't have enough to give. And so what we find is that when they start hoarding and hoarding and hoarding, the more they're trying to kind of, you know, collect more for themselves, it's at that point where God reminds them of the Sabbath. Manna, everyone had enough of. Everyone had their daily fill. God was generous. And so it is at this point where God then kind of re-interjects the Sabbath into the life of the Israelites. Because on the Sabbath, God reminds them that at creation, they had all that they needed. Only on Friday were they able to collect the double portion. Because on Friday, God says, you get to keep a little extra because tomorrow you're not going to have to worry about making a living. On Sabbath, you don't have to worry about advancing your place in this world. 
On Sabbath, you don't have to worry about that A that you want on that test on Monday. On Sabbath, you don't have to worry about trying to pick up 10 extra shifts just to make ends meet. On Sabbath, you don't have to worry about advancing your place because on Sabbath, it's a reminder that God is ultimately in control and it is a reminder that God is ultimately and utterly generous. On Sabbath, the Israelites had enough and we also have enough. Can I interject something here because we're doing really good on time? Yes, Pastor. Oh, thanks, Brett. <laughs> another, another imagery that I, I can't let go past this, when, when we have this image of, of God sending this manna down from heaven on a daily basis, you couldn't just do one day of collecting all this manna for a whole week. It's the same parallel that, we, that comes with you can't just open your heart up to God one day a week and expect it to last for the rest of the week. You can't just read the Bible one day a week and expect your spiritual life to just flourish overnight. It can, but like everything else in this world, it takes work. So we cannot and we should not live into this, this, this um, template that the Israelites set for us where they just try to do one day and then not worry about the rest of the week. Instead, God knows that it's about a daily commitment and surrender to God. And when we do that, we are reminded on Sabbath when we come here that we have enough. Church, Sabbath, worship, isn't what you come and get out of it. Because you've, the hope is that you've been collecting the bread of life all week long. And when you come on Sabbath, you don't need to collect anymore. Instead, when you come on Sabbath morning and worship, we're actually pouring all of that out and saying, God, we thank you that you are enough and you have given us all that we need. If we did that, then there would be no conflict in church. If we did that, we wouldn't be, com- we wouldn't be complaining about worship styles in church. If we did that, we wouldn't be you know, complaining that we don't get fed by our pastor. Of course not. Jesus feeds you, not me. If we were daily coming to the word and if we were daily coming to the bread of life, John chapter 6, verse 35 says this. This is Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. This is Jesus alluding back to the manna in the desert. This is Jesus reminding everyone that I am the same God who, who provided for you in the desert. And I am the same God that is providing for you now. I am a God of generosity, not a God of scarcity. We must learn to live into the liturgy of generosity and not believe in the myth of scarcity. Our God has an abundant amount of resources, and he is continually willing to share that with us. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And so, my friends, this morning, I'm not just standing up here as your pastor. If you're a guest of ours today, and maybe this is the first time you're, you're seeing me up here, and you're saying, like, man, this pastor's cut from the same cloth as all those other guys that tell us that we have to read our Bible every single day. A, yes, I am. <laughs> but it's also because I live it. I, I try to live it. Try. Keyword, try. And I know the difference that it makes in my life. On Sabbath, I come and I worship God because he has been filling me with his abundant grace all week long. My invitation to you this morning 
is as you learn to open your eyes and your heart to what God is doing in your life, to be reminded that our God is a God of infinite abundance and infinite generosity, and he is wanting to pour that out to you. But you have to choose to accept it. God will give and give and give, but if your eyes aren't open, if your heart isn't open to it, then you won't see the blessings. So Joshua, I want to read this. He's talking to the children of Israel, to these Israelites, to this nation, and he says, look, you have to make a decision, and this is what he says. Now therefore revere the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. Put away the gods your ancestors served beyond the river and in Egypt. Notice he's going back to the story of them being rescued from Egypt. He says, and serve the Lord. Now, if you're unwilling to serve the Lord, or willing to choose this day, I messed up somewhere, I think. Now, if you're unwilling to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your ancestors served in the region beyond the river, the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. What in the world? Sorry, I, let's, I messed up here. Let's, let's look at Joshua 24. That's what happens. Okay, here we go. Joshua 24. Now, therefore, revere the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your ancestors served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Now, if you're unwilling to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. So he's saying, look, if that's who you want to choose, if you want to choose these other gods that your ancestors made... He says, go ahead. But Joshua says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. They came to this place in the journey, the Israelites, and Joshua stands up before them and he says, fine, if you want to serve those other gods, go for it. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And you are presented with that very same question, that very same challenge, that very same dilemma now. If you're anything like me, you read the Bible on a good day, and you are reminded of God's abundance. And if you're anything like me, you see the Nike commercials every single day. The story of Nike tells us that you take out of this world only what you are able to achieve. The the story Nike tells us is that you are only who you are able to create yourself to be. That nothing is given. You have to work and earn everything. And if you don't, then you won't get anything. The story that Nike tells us, and Nike is a metaphor for all of the brands, is that no one is going to give you anything because there is no giver. You have to earn it. It's all yours if if you can create it. But the story of God's abundance and generosity is that there is a giver. And God gives unreservedly and God gives graciously and God gives to those who don't necessarily deserve it. You see, the problem is we want to believe in the story of a God of abundant grace, in the story of a a God of abundant resources. The problem is, is that we open our eyes and walk out of our door and we see all this scarcity going on around us. And we begin to buy into this scarcity and we begin to look out only for ourselves and we begin to kind of start talking bad about other people and we talk bad about them because we don't want them to get the job and we start talking all of this gossip and all of this negativity and all of a sudden we are right in the story of this, of this world of scarcity and we forget that God is a God of abundance. To this, 
you and I as the people of God. Our job is to be witnesses to God's abundant grace. Not just grace, but God's abundant love and blessing in both material and spiritual things. I want to end by saying that on this Thanksgiving service, this Thanksgiving Sabbath, it's not just about wanting the turkey and the cranberry sauce on Thursday or whatever you eat, tofurkey or I don't know, whatever. Whatever you guys have, green beans, cranberry sauce, rolls. That when we are here and we gather here, that we are to reclaim the story of God's abundant generosity. We must learn to open our eyes to the liturgy of generosity and forsake the myth of scarcity. There is enough for God to go around. And maybe, just maybe, your eyes haven't been open to the fact that God has been pouring blessing upon blessing. So I'm going to end with these last three things. So here are three things that steal our joy and, and help us to live or, or force us to live in this myth of scarcity. So these are three things that steal your joy, steal your, your attitude of thanksgiving. Number one is pride. Number one is pride. Your pride says that nobody ever gave me anything. I worked hard for everything I have. I deserve everything I have. In fact, I'm going to keep working harder because I deserve more. Pride will get in the way of your attitude of thankfulness. Pride will get in the way of you saying, wow, God, you did endow me with these amazing gifts and you have allowed me to be a part of this world and a part of this industry and I thank you for that. Pride gets in the way. Number two, a critical spirit or a constant complaining. It's your friend that's always complaining about something or someone. It not only steals their joy, but it also steals your joy if you are in their presence. Right? So if someone is constantly complaining and complaining about other people and being critical about other people, they're not, their view of God isn't a God of abundance, love, and grace. Their view of God is that God is, has, a, has a scarcity of resources. When you're complaining constantly, your eyes aren't open to the fact that God is blessing you tremendously. So pride and complaining. And number three, the word is carelessness. And let me explain it this way. It's when we take things for granted. Someone once said that if the stars only came out once a year, we would all sit outside and watch them all night long. But because the stars are always there, we forget that they're there, and we stop looking up. Our God is a God of infinite resource. Our God has promised to take care of you if only you would trust him. And so during this Thanksgiving week and season, it is my prayer that you would open your heart to this God of abundance. And if you don't have everything you want, and if you wish you had more, and if you wish you had somebody else's life, I would challenge you to reassess your view of God, and maybe God will speak into your life. And as we pray, gracious God, we know that you have abundantly blessed us. And God, it, truth be told, it's not always easy to abundantly give back. Because God, we have bills and we have debt. And Christmas is coming and we want to go shopping and we want to buy a new car and we want to buy all these things. And oh God, how we could use that tithe money in our bank account. So there, God, we've said it. Some of us struggle. 
But God, we pray that your spirit would fill us in a way that we would be reminded of your abundance. And that as we give, Lord, that you would cheer our hearts and that you would use it in a way that would continue to usher in your kingdom in the city of Orange and that we would be faithful to your call. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.